Uh, the last few weeks, we've had a lot of the Bibles taken uh, that, and given out, and that's awesome. So if there's not a Bible right underneath the seat in front of you, you can venture around. Totally, I'm totally okay with that. You can find one. There's probably some over in the sides. And we would love for you to take a Bible out. Turn to Luke chapter 1 in the New Testament. We're going to be in verses 46 through 55 this morning, 46 through 55, and we're going to be uh, looking at the text where Mary gives a song, when she, when she gives a song of praise to the Lord. So that's where we're going to be this morning, and I also, while you are all getting there and getting ready, uh, getting set, I want to thank uh, our, our music team. Uh, they, they, they did Friday night and tonight, and we've got, uh, yeah, thank, I want to thank them. I, I want to thank those that are gone, that they'll be back next week, uh, because uh, it is great to have the whole team here, too, and uh, that'll be, uh, we're going to have everyone rolling on, uh, on uh, the uh, new year, so looking forward to that, and if you are new with us, we sing hymns and we sing new songs, we sing hymns, songs, and spiritual songs, just as the Bible says to and uh, we all, all of everything that we do and we sing and we teach, everything that we do here is, is to glorify him. And uh, so we, we look at lyrics of songs and make sure it's about him and it's about us uh, being uh, given new life through him. And we, we do a lot of that stuff because we, wanna, we take this seriously because Jesus took it seriously to save us. And if you look at the world around us on this Christmas morning, there's a lot of junk going on all over the world. And Jesus came to give peace. He was completely serious about it. He gave his life. And so we, we want to help people find him and grow in him and seriously share the good news of Christ with as many people as they can, okay? So that's who we are, that's what we do, and this morning, you're going to see Mary do that. There's a song, it's a beautiful song, many of you know it, uh, it's sung this time of year, Mary, did you know, Mary, did you know, the baby boy, and, and the song is incredible, it's got great lyrics, it's, it's actually not wrong, many of you think that, oh no, he's going to be saying that it's theologically wrong, no, it's giving the details that obviously Mary didn't know, the details, but she knew the big stuff, she knew because it was told to her that this is the Christ. This is the Savior. And can you imagine being a young girl and you're like, oh, boy. This is some deep responsibility. Some deep responsibility. So... We jump into this narrative in Luke chapter 1, right after, right after Mary had visited or was visiting Elizabeth. And the verses prior to that, if you jump up into verse 39 and you read down there, and I'm not going to read all of it, but when they greeted each other, there was what I would call a, uh, 
an unborn John the Baptist jumping for joy. Because that's, that's essentially what happened. John the Baptist, Elizabeth is, is pregnant with John. Mary's got Jesus inside her womb. And Elizabeth, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, shouted a, a prophetic cry. And, and John the Baptist was like, all right, this is cool. And in silence, Mary and Elizabeth had to just kind of regard everything that was going on. Could you imagine that? I, I, I can't imagine it. It had to be so special, so intense, but so sweet at the same time that Mary, with a an amazing calmness begins to sing the very first song of the incarnation. Now, other songs would follow. Zechariah would sing a song, and you can read that. The angels, they definitely sang a song. That was going to come later. Simeon, Simeon sings a song. But this song, known as the Magnificent, is the first. And really in many ways, the greatest. Predictably, due to the greatness of it and due to the the depth of it, and when we kind of dig through this over the next few minutes here, you'll see the depth of this thing. Predictably, there there are critics that just go, no, 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 no. There's no way that Mary could know all of this. There's no way that Mary could sing this type of song. She was so young. It's it's too theological. It's too packed with Old Testament truths. Too carefully structured. It's too poetic. It's too subtle. It's too finished. But boy, the opposite is true. The Magnificent is a brilliant woven tapestry of Scripture. There are specific parallels within it with the the song of of Hannah, and every line of this song has a counterpart in the Old Testament. It's, It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. It is, and the critics are right, it is incredibly theological. But we must not forget, as those who the critics would forget, that every young Israelite knew by heart principal songs. They knew the songs of Hannah and Deborah and David, and they sang them all of the feasts. We've talked about this before, if you've been around I, I've memorized a, a lot of Scripture by song. It just, it's the, it, for me, it is the best way for me to memorize stuff. And I'm, I know these songs like from third, fourth, fifth grade and on that I was taught. And so 
when I look at this, I, I zip back to when I was younger than even Mary, and I go, I, I know those scriptures. I, I sang them. And we need to understand that they were called as a people to teach their young people to sing these scripture songs, to sing of the incredible mercy and grace of God. And so the young Israelites knew them. And it is not unlikely at all that Mary would have thought of the story of Hannah and Hannah's conception of Samuel during her three or four day journey to see Elizabeth. You know, she probably was singing some of those songs in her head, like, boy, I can't believe this happened to me. It must also be remembered that Mary was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Her experience was like the prophets of old, as the Apostle Peter describes it in 2 Peter 1, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Mary's mind was full of Scripture and song, a sacred we would call it a phraseology from what she had heard both in the synagogue and at home. So when the Holy Spirit had come upon her, the Holy Spirit took what she had, wove it into this incredible, incredible song. Profound song. And it starts, first of all, in verse 46 with the simple joy of Mary. Her joy was casting out of her through a hymn of praise, and this song was her great desire, as it says the Magnificent, that means to magnify, to magnify the Lord. She wanted to magnify the Lord, not herself. Magnify the Lord, not herself. She used the phrase in this song, he has, eight times, as she recounted what God had done for three different recipients during this blessing that she talks about. So it's three different recipients, basically three stanzas. The first, what God did for Mary in verse 46, and Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And I want to mine one statement out of that just to begin with because it is theologically so 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 important and there are churches of different backgrounds that mess this up in a terrible way and Mary sets everyone clear in her first line my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior You know what that indicates? If she needs a Savior, who is she? 
She's a sinner. There are church backgrounds that teach that she was not. First line of this, she is exactly like you and me. A sinner who needs a Savior. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. She had to trust the Lord for her eternal salvation. Not only did He save her, but He had chosen her to be the mother of the Messiah. He had regarded her, which means He, had, he was mindful of her, looked on favor with her. No doubt there, there were others who could have been chosen, but God chose her. The Lord had indeed showered His grace on her. And not only was God mindful of her, but He was also mighty for her, working on her behalf. Mary would have no problem singing the hymn, Great Things He Has Done, if we sang it this morning. She believed God and yielded to his will. He performed the biggest miracle of all time (laughs) up to that point in her life and used her to bring the Savior into the world. I would say, if I understood that, that would be the first verse of my song as well. And that's why it's the first verse. Now, let's be thinking about this in our own lives here, everyone. That, that should be our first verse. Every day when we wake up, every day when we go to sleep, we should extol the Lord. Rejoice in God, our Savior, because He has regarded us. He saved us. So what God did for Mary, he does for us as well. The miracle of taking away our sins is just as big of a miracle as the virgin birth. Because it's technically impossible for us to not have sin. And we can't work our way out of it. Only God can take it away. So we have what God did for Mary. Verses 50 through 53, what God did for us. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. So this second stanza of the song, Mary includes all of God's people who fear him from generation to generation. You and I are included in this song. Isn't that cool to know? 
We are included in this song. We have all received as believers in Christ his mercy and experienced his help. Mary named three specific groups to whom God had been merciful. The helpless in verse 51, the humble in verse 52, and the hungry in verse 53. What she's saying is just the regular person, the common person, the common person was the most helpless in that time frame due to the Roman government and just the, the craziness of what they did when they went in and occupied areas. So people were often hungry and downtrodden and discouraged. And Jesus even had some disciples who were a part of a secret society of Jewish extremists called the Zealots, right? If you heard that name tagged onto some of the disciples. And they would use violent means. They weren't nice guys. They would use violent means to try to oppose Rome, and their activities just made things worse. And what we see here is that there's a reversal. It's like, hey, guys, this... What you are trying to do is not possible in your own power. This reversal that you're hoping for, this change uh, to peace that you're hoping for, is only available through what Christ is going to do. And that's why in verse 51, where it says, He's done mighty deeds with His arm. He's scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. This moral reversal. She's looking backward in this song. And she's looking forward as a, uh, so she's looking as a historian and a prophetess regarding the reversal that Jesus, her son, would bring. Mary calls out the proud, the ones that show themselves preeminent. None of us know prideful people, right? Yeah, that, that's sarcasm. People strutting around proud, arrogant, conceited. It doesn't have to be a world leader. It doesn't have to be a local leader. It could be the person uh, next door. It could be the person uh, in your household. It can be you. Just call it what it is. They are proud because their innermost thoughts are first about them. And they plot and they scheme and they have arrogance and all types of stuff. Now, let's look at the history side of that just a little bit. There are a ton of examples in the Old Testament of what Mary was talking about. You've got Pharaoh, you've got Haman, you've got Absalom, but probably most in front of most young Israelite teaching was the truth about what Nebuchadnezzar was like. So you have to kind of picture them thinking of Nebuchadnezzar and also thinking of Daniel. Thinking of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, a man who would strut his stuff while sitting down. He was proud. He was as proud as they came. 
He was self-absorbed. He had been warned even in a dream interpreted by Daniel about a coming personal failure and fall if he didn't renounce his sins. But this dude couldn't even control his ego even after being warned. In Daniel 4, Verse 29, it says 12 months later, after being warned, okay, just to put it in context, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Well, that ended up happening, uh, something happened like immediately, his mind snapped, He descended to all fours. He started snorting and bullying around like a cow. He actually would eat the vegetation of the palace grounds. His hair grew long. His beard grew long. It said it covered him like eagle feathers, and his nails, as a result of what he was doing, grew like, it says, talons. And it was like that for seven years. Could you imagine having to serve the king? Because he was still king. They were stuck with this dude. And I love what it says in Daniel 4, 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, because all of a sudden it changes to him speaking. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. When you look around the world right now, don't you just wish so many people would just like, come on, guys, catch a clue. You are insane. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, there's only one answer to that. Raise your eyes to the Lord. Humble yourself before Him. I raised my eyes towards heaven. My sanity was restored. I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Hmm. Do you see why I put with Mary this story? And of course, there's other generation to generation mentioned all over the Old Testament. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? His concluding observation in verse 37 was, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He had a seven-year front row seat to being humbled. So in this historical picture that Mary is thinking of, it sharpens the force then of Mary's prophecy. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. Mary's words here are prophetic about the reversal brought about by the birth of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. It scatters the proud. We see glimpses of it through the annuals of history, 
even within the last few hundred years, guys like Napoleon, they got proud. And what happened? Waterloo. Hitler marches through Europe, annihilates millions of people. What happened? D-Day. You go over into Russia right now and you see sculpted heads of Lenin and Stalin actually in junkyards. The days of arrogant men echo against the crash of their falling thrones. So Jesus takes care of all of that. You know, that's the reason we're told, hey, you be faithful. God is the God of justice. God's going to take care of that stuff. We follow him. We worship him. We praise him. We give glory to him. And God takes care of the rest. Which makes me praise him even more. And we know this because it says in the New Testament, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Those who possess a sense of moral superiority because of whatever in their life, God's going to go, eh, it's not going to work. And the only way to turn from that is to repent. Is to repent and give our lives to the Lord. So this moral reversal that is talked about there, so what God has done for us and what God did for Israel as we end this short song. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Matthew one twenty one says, He shall save his people from their sins. In spite of Israel's terrible condition of their heart at many times, God still saved them. God still used them. He would remember them. His mercy was overflowing. He kept his promises. If it were not for Israel, Jesus could not have been born into this world because that was the prophecy. That was God's selected people. Verse 56, And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. We have absolutely no clue what happened during that three months. But we know when she returned to Nazareth, by then it was clear that she was pregnant. And then the rest of the narrative is explained on on how Joseph was told, and we can go further on down the road there. But Mary understood what was going on. And all that 
Mary was stating here is very simple, but very deep and in-depth. She wanted, first thing, to magnify the Lord. To magnify the Lord. Her personal reasons were very clear. And we as Christians magnify the Lord today for the same reasons. The divine grace as God met her in her humble state. How does God meet us in our humble state? Exactly the same. There's nothing that she could have done to affect her own or Israel's deliverance. There is nothing you can do to affect your own deliverance. It's His grace in His mercy in His call. that gives you life. His divine blessing, second of all. So she says that I am called blessed for all generations, even as those who have Christ within are blessed for eternity. We are blessed. We are blessed. One of the beauties of being involved in a local church is you get to know people that you will know for eternity. It's blessing. This is a small crew that's going to be in heaven together with the rest of God's crew. And this is a blessing, isn't it? It's a blessing. It's a blessing. Friday night, you know, we did about an hour-long service Friday night. I was here for, I think, three hours later because people just wanted to talk. And that's a blessing. That's fellowship. That's just what we do. We're blessed. We, we apply this also in knowing His divine excellencies. When we celebrate Christmas and all of the decorations and everything that we put up, we should be thinking about His power, His holiness, His mercy. What He has done for us. And it was all brought onto Mary's life. And she sang praises for it. And it's brought upon our lives as well to know Christ. And when you know Christ, then you get to see the the moral reversals where Nebuchadnezzar's are changed. You get to see power reversals where Daniel's, guys that are in captivity, are brought up. And as it says, for he's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. You get to see spiritual reversals as well. And I really think that has to do mostly with what Mary's talking about with the hungry. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Jesus echoed that. You know, for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
do you hunger and thirst for righteousness on this Christmas morning? It's a spiritual reversal. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, what does God do? He pours in His grace. He pours in His mercy. And He's, he's like, you are, you are mine. You are mine alone. Nothing can take you away from me. I will be with you day after day, season after season, year after year. And God will be with us until he calls us home or he returns, whichever is first. The eternal mercy then that is found in this. A song of fulfilling covenants and keeping them. Right there, he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, his descendants forever. Well, what did he say to Abraham? Uh, You're going to have a people. A vast, huge amount of people that are brought up following me. And we're part of that. Hopefully you're getting that, that Mary's song that, that magnifies the Lord includes us all over it. It's the same song today that we should be singing in our life. Because his mercy goes on forever and ever. And Jesus, by his birth, by his perfect life, by his death, by his resurrection, Jesus has turned the world on its head. Jesus scatters the proud. Jesus lifts the humble. And he fills the hungry with eternal life. Jesus fills the hungry with eternal life. And so as you prepare to go home and celebrate the rest of Christmas Day today, magnify the Lord. Right? Magnify the Lord for what He has done. Let's stand together and pray. Lord, I thank you for all who are here today.